worship us and celebrate uh, together. Um, believe that God's going to speak into our lives today and uh, know that God's at work. I'm excited to dive into the scriptures. Uh, it's been an exciting and awesome time of what God's been doing in the heart and the life of our church. If, if you're a, a guest here, it's your first time at Fathom, uh, we hope that you feel not just comfortable, but you, you encounter Jesus. You encounter the creator of the universe who loves you and died for you and you can grow in a relationship with him, and he's put a family for you to do that in here, right here in, uh, right here on Old St. Augustine Road, and if this is your first time here, we just want to tell you, welcome home, welcome home, and we hope that it feels like that for you today. Uh, excited to dive into uh, the word. Um, this is that time of year where everybody's got, you know, travel plans, and everybody does the gifts thing, right? That's a big thing. Um, we won't trace the history of that, but everyone in this room has gotten a gift they did not like. Right, and you've had to fake it, right? That woolly, itchy sweater you got from grandma or whatever, and you had to fake it. Like, actually, tonight or tomorrow, you'll probably have to fake you like a gift. There was one time I got Taryn a super cheap necklace, and that is the last time I will buy my wife cheap jewelry because she tried to hide it. Like, she did pretty good, and it lasted for a little bit, but after a while, I realized that she hated it, and she's just got nice taste. God bless my wallet. Um, and so, no, she, she's amazing. Jimmy Kimmel did this thing a few years ago that I think you'll find uh, hilarious and wrong all at the same time. But he, he, he asked his viewers that were parents to give their kids terrible gifts, to give them terrible gifts, and then to videotape it, and then not only videotape it, but send it in so all of America could enjoy that, and the results were nothing less of amazing and wrong. Some of you will go home and do this with your kids, and uh, for that, I don't condone that behavior, but let's just laugh for a second on what happened. Uh, brings me, uh, I ask you to challenge, I ask the parents of America to go to the polls.
putting you on the naughty list. So wrong, yet so funny, yet so funny. No, we've all had to do that. We've all had to fake. Like, kids, they, there's no filter to fake it, right? They just tell you what they think and what they feel. And as we get older, we get really good at faking it. And I just know that for some of us, like, we'll fake it with the gifts tonight or tomorrow. But for some of us, we've been faking it for a long time. We've been faking this relationship with God thing for a long time, and really, truly in our heart, there hasn't been a a relationship that's flowing out in utter joy. I want to dive into a text here in just a few minutes in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, when we talk about the Magi. Um, But I want to take you back, because we've been exploring this, this topic of joy, and we've really been talking about us experiencing joy through an encounter with Christ. And joy is not wavered with the external circumstances on the outside, but it comes from an internal posture of experiencing and encountering Christ and His grace. But many of us, so we've been talking about that, that external um, joy in our life, but what I want to look at in Genesis, if you just think back all the way back to Genesis, that God created you know, the heavens and the earth and said it was good, and He separated land and water and said it was good, and then birds of the sky and fish of the sea, and it was good, and then man, he's like, it's all right, needs a woman. Now it's good. <laughs> now it's good. And then verse one or verse 31, he looked on all that he had made and said it was very good. He was, he was pleased with what he had created. The, the Hebrew word is the word tov, which is God's like just ultimate, complete pleasure in every way. I think it could almost joy, and he was just delighting in his creation. He delighted in you and I and everything that he made. But many times our, our perspective of God is not as, as delight in us, but like he's trying to get something from us. Like in, instead of being the ultimate gift giver, in fact, he's trying to take fun from us. He's trying to control this and really the scriptures paint a completely different picture of the God that we serve. And so I just want to start from the place of God's joy today, God's pleasure and his delight in you, in who you are. And it's not because of the good works that we've done. It's because of his good pleasure in creating us from the very beginning. Remember before we were sinners or while we were still sinners, Christ died. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 2 and begin to explore. We're going to see this one word that's going to show up in a few different places, and it's the word worship. Because I think that our joy, our experience and outflow of joy has a lot to do with our worship that's taking place in our heart. Let's begin Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. That's a good place to highlight worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the uh, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. Go ahead and underline or highlight the second part that worship him comes up again. And after they heard the king, they went on their way and the star, uh, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. There it is again. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. I don't think it's an accident that the word worship and the theme of worship is just woven into this story with the Magi and with Herod here. And I just want to take some time to explore that. Some of you, you've probably heard about Magi, often called the wise men, the, the three wise men, which is really just a legend just because of the three gifts. We don't know how many there were, but we can just, for our sake, we'll say there was a few. These were men that were from the east, most likely Persia or India or somewhere in the Mesopotamia region. These were men of incredible influence. These were men who had the ears of kings, who could tell a king to go to war and they would go to war. Like, that's kind of powerful. Like, I don't know how much power you have or influence you have in your life, but these guys had incredible power in the world and influence with world leaders. And they came from the East, and it's, it's my opinion that these guys had been converted to Judaism because there weren't really natural-born Jews in the areas of Persia and India, but people would be converted to Judaism because they came to worship. They came to, to honor um, the Christ child. And so it, being converted Jews, not by birth, most likely during the time of Esther when Judaism expanded into uh, the Persia area, these guys began to study the scriptures and they became like part astrologers, part prophets. So they studied the skies and they studied the scriptures. And they began to connect these two things. And something I've never heard taught publicly, but I think is of incredible interest regarding the Magi, is that most likely they had, they had been so diligent in their studies of the Hebrew text and of prophecy that they had connected two prophecies, one from the book of Daniel chapter 9, that actually told them when the time would come that the Messiah would happen. If you look in Daniel chapter 9, you'll read about something called the 77s. So it's basically 490 years. I'll save you all the understanding and depth of that. But basically 490 years. And they said that at a time, that would start from a time that they issued a decree to rebuild Jerusalem. So from that time until this time, the rest of the text says that it would put an end to sin. In 490 years, there would be an end to sin of in, And so they've connected this passage in Daniel chapter 9 and another passage in Numbers chapter 24 verse 7 that actually tells them the location. This is, this is crazy. Like hundreds and hundreds of years, they've been studying the scriptures and they've connected these two seemingly obscure from the book of Numbers and much later in, uh, in, in uh, Daniel. And they've connected these two because the one in, in uh, Numbers comes from a, a prophet named Balaam. Do you guys remember Balaam? He's the one that had the donkey, the stubborn donkey that he kicks and beats his donkey. We talked about that earlier this year. I think you were my, my stubborn donkey. And... and, uh, and so they're connected to this because it said that a star would come up out of Judah. And so these, these part astrologists, part prophets, part studier of the Hebrew scriptures because they've been converted, 
They're seeking with sincerity and diligence. And they know which sky to be looking in towards Judah. And they know what time to be going out and studying this. It's just incredible to me that they've connected these two things. These men of influence. But the scriptures say that they came. And and even though as much influence as they they had, they didn't come in to to just kind of check off a mark. They came to worship. Like these guys who, who were sincere in their heart, they weren't just coming to drop off some gifts and be like, God bless y'all. Here's some diapers for the new baby. Um, no, it, it was, it was an act of worship that they came there. And that's so connected when it comes to joy in our life. And oftentimes I think we, we don't really live our lives as people who were created to worship. And we, we act, but, the, but the, the truth of the matter is that we all worship. We're worshiping something. Like our city is obsessed with the Jaguars, finally, right? Got something to be obsessed about. But man, we'll, we'll worship the television screen. We'll worship our career. We'll, we'll, we'll worship our ambitions. We'll even worship our families, as amazing as that is. We can put that before God and before the Christ child as, as they've come to worship. Worship it really comes from two words. It's kind of a mashup word of worth-ship. They've chosen what is most worthy. And true worship in our lives is, is acknowledging God and acknowledging Christ as foremost above everything else in our lives. Everything else. And so if we begin to think, what's been the thing that I've been obsessed with, I've been consumed about this week? For our city, for our nation, we've been obsessed with the gifts. We've been obsessed with, with our plans. We've been obsessed with, can I just say it, ourselves. And I know with our kids, like uh, with Beckett and Camden, our two oldest boys, they've got amazing Nana and Papa and Poppy and Gigi. They're so blessed, and they have just amazing grandparents. And they always come, like these Magi, bearing gifts, uh, good gifts. Like I don't have room in our tiny little house to fit all the gifts that they come uh, bearing. But like they're kids. They're four and six. And so when they get a gift, what do they do? They're like, yes, and they do the And like they completely forget the giver of the gift, and mom and dad were trying to be good parents, but hey, give Nana a hug for crying out loud. She's the one that got, don't forget the giver, the gift, but with God sending his son, he, he didn't just send a gift to us. He, the gift was himself. And as believers in this room, or, or even those that are believers, we can kind of treat God uh, like a genie in, the, in, in a bottle, and like we get obsessed with the gifts. We get obsessed with uh, with hope, and, and I need more peace in my life, God, and I need your peace. And every time we pray, we become obsessed with that and about what he can bring. God, I need your financial freedom. And we can obsess over the gifts and forget that the greatest gift is himself. Like, he is the gift. And it's his grace that is the gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is one of the, the simplest places to just understand the gospel. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a, it's a gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. Sometimes as a parent, I'll be like, hey, son, if you don't do this, or if, if, you, if you're good, they had a babysitter the other night. I said, if y'all are good, then she can give you chocolate ice cream. And, I, and I'm, I'm very conditional sometimes in the gifts I'm wanting to give my, my own kids. 
Um, not saying that's an amazing thing, but I try not to be like that all the time. But, but that's just the reality. It's a little manipulation and control of my kids. So, you know, well, whatever. It is what it is. Um, but, that's, <laughs> but, but that's not how God works. No, while we were still sinners, Christ came. Christ died. And it's not so that we can boast. It's not from our works. These guys came to worship. They had reason to be prideful in the influence. And they didn't bow down before the King Herod, but they bowed down before the Christ child. I think there's something that we can learn from these magi in their diligence and in their sincerity. And I just want to ask you, in 2017, have you sought the Lord with diligence and with sincerity? Have you worshipped him first above everything else that you would leave faraway lands? Have you studied the scriptures to know, God, what are you revealing in my life right now? What's the next step you're calling me to take? Where do you want me to go? Come worship. Um, the text goes on in verse 3 through 8, and we see like an interesting turn of events. They come, and Herod's disturbed which is an understatement. Uh, dude's messed up. I don't know if you know about King Herod, but like he's killed his brother. He's killed his wives. He's killed um, his own children in fear that they would overtake his throne. So the fact that he was disturbed is not surprising. Yeah, like he was super disturbed, like in a lot of more ways than one. But he was disturbed about this news because these people were, were, were kind of um, really into astrology at, at this time. Um, and, and a star moving in the direction that this, this shooting star, this meteor was moving, meant that a time for them, it meant that a time of political upheaval was coming. And so even, that's why the people were disturbed, not because a baby was being born, but because something was happening that they were afraid of, probably similar to what's going on in Jerusalem right now, a time of political upheaval and intense hostility. And Herod, it goes on, and it gets to the place where um, Herod's like, hey, go and search and find the child. Go and tell me so that I, too, can come and worship him. So that I, too. And I just imagine these, this Indian and Persian fellows walking out the door after he said this and like, yeah, right. The only thing Herod worships is his own face, his own statue. That guy's got his head so far up. You know what I mean? I'm just imagining the conversation between this Indian fellas and these Persian guys from ancient Mediter uh, uh, Mesopotamia that are just like, yeah, right, you want to worship. They see through it. And when someone gives you a gift, you can... Or when, um, uh, when you've given someone a gift and they don't love it, when I gave Taryn that cheap necklace, I could kind of see. She was trying to put the brave face on. I love it. But you can kind of see through it. And we can sense a lack of sincerity, can't we? We could sniff out a fake from a mile away. We're just intuitive like that. God, we can read those emotions. How much more can God read our emotions? And the truth of the matter is that God can't be fooled. That he, he, he may have even fooled these guys for a second, which it's obvious they didn't, because they discarded his information. They did not come back, so they, they didn't take it. But even if they did, God would not be fooled. I'm reminded of what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, 4, that God, before a word's even on my lips, you know it. You knew me, God. You created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb, and I praise you. 
because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You saw me and you saw that it was good. You delighted in me from the very beginning. And I know your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, God, you, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And how precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I awake, I'm still with you. I'm just reminded of that text. As we think about maybe, a, some, maybe an aspect of our life that we're trying to fake our way through. And, and really, God can't be fooled. And you may have uh, your sister, your spouse, your church family fooled, but I'm telling you, you're not fooling God. Whether you're bringing sincere and diligent worship, whether you're truly seeking after him like these magi did. Honestly, this is a lot of my testimony. I grew up in the church. I grew up sitting in an awesome church and I faked my way through it for a long time. And I've grown in my understanding and depth of joy as I've grown in my depth and understanding of sincerity of worship. The two are connected. As I surrender my life to Christ, the more joy flows out. And so if there's an area that you've been faking it, if there's an area that you've been afraid to let go of control, like just know like as you release that, there is greater joy that's coming particularly in that, in that area. And for me, like that was a struggle. I, I said, God, if, you want, if you're calling me to this, if, if you're asking me to do this, then I need you to crucify my ambitions. I need you to slay my addictions and lead me, God, where my greatest desire is you, where you're my greatest desire. And I could delight myself in him once I realized that he delighted in me, not because of my good works, but because of his, his plan for my life. The text goes on, and these magi come, they make it. They make it to where Jesus was hollowed out in the side of this cave where animals slept near someone's home. And we see that now their internal delight, their sincerity and diligence had led them to this place. And there, from the internal delight, there became an outward expression. And I find a lot of times we... We say that we worship, yet there's never anything physical that takes place in that. And so God knows our heart, okay? God, God knows our heart. So the physical it doesn't necessarily prove, but if the, if the outward isn't happening, I would begin to question the internal over a period of time. And for them, the external influence of Herod was not going to change their mission of why they came there. They came to worship. And there was an external an outward expression of an inward reality of worship. They, they were truly diligent and sincere, and they brought gifts. They came prepared to give gifts. And so I, I would just say to us, these three gifts that they bring have a lot of power as we begin to understand what these gifts mean and how they speak to who Christ was, way more than what these guys who had been diligent and sincere, way more than what they could comprehend or understand that there was incredible power in these three gifts. You see, gold was something that you would bring a king. I mean, you don't, you don't just bring gold, you know, like you're going to give gifts to your family. Like, like, I imagine there's not a lot of gold going around. <laughs> I don't know about your family. There's not a ton of gold exchange. 
Gold was a gift in this time that was brought to kings as a, a, a place of honor. Thing is, with kings, God wants us to delight in him as our king, to delight in Christ as our king. You see, a, a king has authority. A king has sovereignty. And the king has control. And many times in our lives, we're not willing to relinquish control. And until we're willing to relinquish control to the king, we're not going to experience the depth of his joy. And I'll just tell you, this gets revealed on car rides for me. My family is going to take a little um, ride up to the mountains tomorrow, six hours with three kids. It should be fun. Covet your prayers. Um, and uh, hoping to get some, you know, see some snow, hopefully do a little skiing and be back before next Sunday. But um, the one thing is, is Taryn will tell you, I like to drive because I like to get there in a timely manner. Um, that's a nice way to say I like to move really fast and, and I like to have control of the wheel. That's a, that's a nice way to say it. Um, but what I've noticed, every once in a while, I'll say, she's just shaking her head. Um, I'll, every once in a while, I'll say, hey, babe, you want to drive? And it's when... I'm just going to, I just want to enjoy the journey. I just want to enjoy the ride. And I'm, I'm being less controlling, and I'm not worried about the clock. I'm just, I'm worried about the experience of riding my wife. And I'll just tell you something. I enjoy it way more when I'm sitting in the passenger seat. Because I can just look around. I can play the game on my phone. <laughs> I can enjoy the scenery. And some of us, the reason that we're not experiencing joy. We're not enjoying. We're not delighting ourselves in him. It's because we've got control of the wheel. And if we'll just sit back and relax and put our feet up, even though doctors say that's really dangerous, we're going to enjoy his presence. We're going to enjoy the ride so much more if we're willing to delight in him as king and give him control. The second gift they brought was frankincense, which had some different purposes, but was commonly used by the high pri by the priest. And, and the scriptures tell us that Christ was our high priest, and he came to heal, to not just heal our inner self, but to heal our relationship with God. Second thing, we need delight in Christ as our healer. I've talked pretty openly um, about some physical things that I've battled since I was in middle school, particularly um, some issues in my back where it, about once a year it gets to the place where there's so much inflammation near my spine and the nerves in my spine that it's completely debilitating. I, I have to lie on the ground. I have to get back into chiropractic and, and have it adjusted. And, um, and, and I've just battled this since I was in, in, in sixth grade, and it's intense. And my wife can tell you it's, it's very painful and very intense. Um, but I know that ibuprofen helps it. And this gift of frankincense, because it helps the inflammation. And, and this gift of frankincense, it was actually used to, to help um, arthritis and inflammation. And, and, and God is a healer. Many times we'll, we're not delighting in him when we just want to medicate the issue instead of allowing God to heal it. We're medicating things that God wants to heal. And, and if there's a substance, if there's an addiction... If there's something unhealthy that's, that's not of God in your life that you've been using to medicate something that, that it, when we begin to delight in Christ as healer, he wants to heal it. I believe that God can heal us where I'll never have to deal with it again. And maybe there's some steps I need to be taking, a whole different thing. I'll consult my doctor. But, um, but, 
but don't keep medicating things that which God wishes to heal in our hearts and in our lives. And the last thing they, they offered and they brought as they bowed down and worshiped as a sign, the external representation of that was myrrh. And myrrh had lots of uses, but even more than its uses that are compelling to me is the way that they, they extract myrrh. See, myrrh was used in, in um, a way to foreshadow what Christ would do at the cross. Because how they would extract this myrrh from this, we'll just call it a myrrh tree for right now. It's a, it's a weird word, it's tough to pronounce. But they would take these like sharp and they would just keep piercing the tree. They would just keep piercing the tree until there's all these holes in the tree and it begins to drip a brownish, reddish resin that comes out, bleeds, literally bleeds out of the tree. And what's amazing is that over time, it crystallizes and turns clear. I just think that's a beautiful picture as we delight in Christ as our Savior. That these guys, they didn't connect all that, that he would be crucified, that he would be pierced for our transgressions. They probably did remember that passage in Isaiah. And I wonder if they could just fathom that, that what happened to that tree that, of those oil that, that, that they carried, that resin they carried, would be for the redemption of our sins. The blood that was poured out would, would set us free. His body that would be pierced was so that we could know life and know it abundantly. And across this room, I, 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 know, I know many of you, and I, and I, I kind of know where, where some of you are at, but I don't know where everybody's at. And maybe you're here in this place, and, and you've just been kind of going through the motions and doing kind of the fake thing, maybe in just one area of your life, and, and your worship hasn't been sincere, and it hasn't been diligent, and maybe if it is sincere, it hasn't made a physical manifestation. And so I just want us to come back to that place of just simple worship that because you're worthy, God, not because of the gifts, not because of everything great that comes, simply because you're worthy. I want to honor you and worship you. Maybe, maybe you're in this house and you've been faking it and you've never, never completely surrendered every area of your will and your ambitions to Christ. And today can be a moment for you to do that. And I want to ask you to stand, church. You see, at the very beginning, he looked on his creation and he said that it was very good. He said that it was very good. I love the passage in Hebrews chapter 12 that says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that set before him. Before the fall, we were his joy. After the fall, as Jesus was facing the cross, cross, we were still his joy. The joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Psalm 37, 4 to, to wrap. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in it. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. You may not have what you want on the tree tomorrow or tonight. Your hopes and ambitions, your goals for 2018 may have not been accomplished. The restoration you were hoping in a relationship or your buildup of finances may not have happened in 2017 like you wanted, but I'll just tell you, as you go into 2018, if you'll just delight yourself in him, 
He's going to give you desires of your heart that you didn't even think of yet. You didn't even know to put it on your Christmas list. You didn't even know to put it on. God's going to bring those gifts. Jesus said it another way. Seek first the kingdom heaven of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. This band's going to lead us. These tables are going to be open. There'll be folks at each cross to pray with you if you want someone to pray with. But this time is a time of worship response to come to the table and declare with your uh, brothers and sisters of the resurrection and the death of of Christ to, to proclaim his freedom.